But what if? What if? In earlier episodes, we've spent a lot of time talking about the youth and the mentors in our project. In this episode, we want to talk more about the families because we learned a lot about the families impacted by incarceration. We're talking with Dr. Andrea Taylor. Dr. Taylor has done a lot of work in the youth mentoring field, and we had her working with us on this project. She helped us to uh, really look at the work that we were doing with the families and to help the mentors to better understand the families they were meeting and, and collaborate with them. Um, and we asked if Dr. Taylor would talk with us a little bit today about what she's learned about working with families. Hi, Andrea. Good morning. We wanted to start by just asking you, you've worked with a lot of programs uh, over the years. And what have you seen uh, in programs, particularly mentoring programs, uh, in terms of how they approach working with families? So this is a very interesting question. And of course, my first and most primary experience was when I created and was directing the Across Ages program here in Philadelphia. And we were not studying families directly, but we did have a major component that involved families in the whole mentoring relationship. And what we saw from an informal basis and what we heard from the mentors was when the family members were communicative, when they were engaged, when they came to family activities, that the mentors themselves felt much closer and they were more motivated to really work with the kids and they were more in inclined to kind of stick it out when things got rough. And they also felt that they had a partner, essentially, that they could talk with the families and really figure out the best way to engage the kids. When that didn't happen and there were problems, very often the families would use the mentor kind of as a bargaining chip. It's like, you know, if you don't go to school or if you don't do your homework or whatever, you can't see your mentor. And so, you know, we kind of obviously figured out that good relationships between families and mentors tended to have a positive effect and on the long lasting relationships between mentors and youth. So I saw that just as I said, from an anecdotal perspective, which we also documented in our various reports and in our research. Then subsequently, I was um, several years ago asked to write a chapter for the second edition of the Handbook of Youth Mentoring on family engagement. And of course, when you looked at that literature, it was very mixed. So while family, well, pro program practitioners said they liked the idea of families being engaged, they weren't necessarily inclined to go the extra mile to make that happen because they felt that families were coming from this kind of deficit perspective and they didn't have the time or energy or staff resources to really make that happen. And in my time over the years doing training for various mentoring programs, not only across ages, which I've continued to provide training for because it's a, an evidence-based model listed with SAMHSA, but also with other kinds of programs and some of yours included, you know, I've seen programs again come from this sort of mixed perspective, like, yes, we really wanna do it, but no, we don't have time and we're really not sure how. So I would say overall, I think that it's a very positive thing to be doing. And I think one of the things that programs have lacked is 
guidance and expertise and the support around how to engage families. You talked about going that extra mile and the fact that the capacity was a big barrier, but you also spoke to that other piece, that piece around really don't know how. Um, what are some of the things that are helpful for programs in engaging with families? What have you seen work? I think one of the things about mentoring programs is that it's a partnership all the way around. So it's a staff being able to mentor the mentors. It's mentors being able to mentor the youth. It's families feeling that they are included in the whole you know, triad and dynamic. It's really, it's that whole takes a village concept, even though that seems to be an overused phrase at this point, but that's really what it comes down to. And I think that, you know, staff, I think what we have a tendency to do, of course, because of funding constraints is we underfund and under support men mentoring programs. And consequently, staff feel really stretched and they don't feel that they've had the tools and, you know, kind of, well, what's the resource? Where can I go? How can I, you know, lead a mentor to the kind of support that they need without it taking hours and hours away from everything else I have to do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I know one of the tools that you shared in our project uh, related to the family assets study, where you, you really put some very tangible information um, in front of folks to help them see the value of looking at family assets. I wonder if you would speak to us a little bit about why you wanted that to be part of the training for mentors. That's a really good question. And I liked it when I when I was thinking about that earlier this morning, because I think it's one thing to look at a list, you know, the 40 developmental assets, the family assets and go, oh, that's really great. Now what? <laughs> it's like, so what does that mean for me? So I would say that was probably one of the most interesting and also one of the most challenging aspects of de developing that material because it really forced me to think about, well, how does this actually translate into a real scenario? How does this translate into something that I as a mentor could say? Or what is it that I need to look for, you know, when I'm engaging with a, with a parent or a caregiver, you know, and how can I sort of not go to my go-to response, what, that I, something that I might say off the top of my head, but how can I step back and be more thoughtful in what I really need to say? And that's not, that's not always easy. So for me, it was a process. And I will also say that um, apropos of the sort of mentoring the mentors that you and your staff were very helpful because we, I felt that we kind of worked through this together. You know, I would create something, you would give me some feedback, we would talk about it. So it really was an evolutionary process from my perspective. Yeah. yeah. And it's just a, you know, it's a different way of thinking for all of us because I think we're so sort of tuned in and so programmed to just have that kind of quick knee jerk response. And particularly, as we've already stated, when we come from this deficits perspective and we're having to do this shift in thinking. I think that was one of the things that really um, 
was difficult for a lot of the folks participating in the project is to shift their you know their lens if you will mm -hmm. from i mean when you're meeting families that are uh coping with so many challenges and in this project we were working with families uh coping with the incarceration of one of the parents sometimes both of the parents uh, and uh, and that's often was not the only circumstance that was in front of them at creating challenges for day-to-day -day life. And so for the, uh, the staff as well as the mentors to see beyond those things that are so apparent to us in challenges mm -hmm. uh, and to really look at the families was uh, something we had to be very intentional yes. about, which was one of the reasons we wanted to do that parents as partners training. Um, I, I was really interested in when you were speaking about the idea of shifting that paradigm, what you see um, happen when folks, you know, are able to do that. When folks are able to, you know, that they start maybe the way we have just been describing, but then they, they are able to start seeing things with a different lens. Uh, they see, well, look at what this mom is able to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, how is she doing that? Um, it's really life-changing, I think, for people. It's a very powerful experience. And I think I mentioned earlier that uh, I've been doing some work on on my own with this idea of trauma-informed care and asking the question about what happened here as opposed to what's wrong with you. And even for myself personally, I found this to be quite a remarkable question because when you ask that question of what's happening, what's going on, it opens up a whole new world. And when you stop shifting and ascribing blame to people, you know, it really gives you the opportunity to see what the potential is. And that's when you understand, you know, the mom or the caregiver, as you say, who's got five kids and maybe two jobs and still can say good morning and, you know, get the kids out to school on time and, you know, is able to do so many things. And I don't think for those of us who live lives that are relatively easier, you know, have any appreciation for what it's like to sort of have multiple stressors going on day after day after day. And again, when you read the research literature and you really understand the impact of multiple stressors on people, you know, that's also a very powerful thing. So, yeah, but I, but I think what I see, just to get really be more specific in terms of your question, is it's very empowering and it helps mentors feel that they can really make a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, just by asking a few penetrating questions or just by saying something a little bit differently, you know, that they have the power to really turn things around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's quite a remarkable experience. And what I also see is that it carries over into so many other aspects of their lives. You know, they communicate better with other people as well. So, Andrea, you've spoken about the family assets study. And for people who are not familiar with the family assets, can you explain a little bit more about what that means? What are these assets? What are they? What, are, what is exactly what are we talking about here? The family assets are based on the concept of the 40 developmental assets that were developed at the Search Institute. And they really address those components of families and the way they function 
and the positive aspects of the way in which families can really come together and be in the world and function efficiently. They focus on such things as enjoying family meals together, having family time where uh, parents and caregivers and young people do fun things that are not necessarily gadget related, but maybe taking a walk outdoors or really having specified time to communicate with each other. Uh, it involves families and parents and caregivers being engaged with the school setting uh, so that they know what's going on with their children. It's those kinds of things. It's really the positive interaction that exists between families and young people. So it's really very simple, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's very simple and it's very specific when you are able to take it and kind of translate it into things that people know that they can do and that people are already doing. I think that's the other thing that we were able to identify. These are things that your families may already be doing. You may just not be aware of it yet. Or these are things that your families may need a little bit of help in thinking about how they can do it with their young people. So yes, it's not complicated, it's not rocket science, but it's also something I think that um, mentors can be aware of and are able to really address with the families and say, gee, I really understand that you have uh, regular dinner night with your kids and that's really so important. I'm just so delighted that you do that. You know, Do you have a favorite meal? Though that simple question, can really go a long way to establishing establishing a connection. Yeah. What do you think the implications are for programs who uh, want to start to integrate this in a really tangible way into the way they approach uh, supporting mentoring? Well, I'm excited by it because I think two things. One is that going back to the original sort of premise here is that I do believe that programs need to embrace the idea that strong relationships with families are worth their investment. So if they got that part down, then here we have a tool that's relatively easy to use. It's user-friendly. From what I understand, mentors were able to you know, use it and really benefit from it. And staff can have the support that they need in terms of how to implement, how to follow up with this. So I feel as though this could potentially really offer a tremendous benefit to programs around the country. And I think could really do a lot to strengthen long-term relationships between mentors and youth. Um, because if families are engaged and they feel that they're a part of this, I just see it as a win-win. Yeah, I think we would have to agree with you on that piece. I really appreciate Andrea's idea of engaging the families as a win-win approach. It makes you wonder why we haven't done more of it. When we talk with Anna Hollis at Amachi Pittsburgh, she takes this idea beyond just the mentoring relationship. We know it's going to take more than mentoring to move the needle and fix a broken system. It's, that's a very uh -huh. large conversation that we're not going to get into here today. But how can we connect our families to other systems that make it and make an impact and better support our youth and families? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, so, 
You know, I, I know the Amachi model, um, the, the Amachi model itself is um, partnership-based. So the way that we operate is, you know, by collaborating with a number of other organizations. And it's really recognizing that, I mean, we can't do it all. No one organization can do all the work and we're, we're all better together. I think being um, intentional about establishing, um, you know, partnerships with, with other agencies and, and um, you know, really exploring ways to collaborate with, with other institutions is a way to get families connected to the other kinds of specialized supports that they may need. Like, really important for us to pay attention to some of the policies and even legislation that directly impact our families' lives. And so, how at the same time, that's, you know, not really the way Amachi, you know, started or started out, you know, that, that wasn't really our focus area, but we see how um, families are so deeply impacted by um, policies. And it's also really important that um, our legislators know who we are and what we're doing and the impact we're having and, and why we need to invest more um, in, you know, prevention work. So I think one of the partnerships that has been really helpful for Amachi and, and that enabled Amachi to start to engage a little more in the advocacy and policy arena is with the Pittsburgh Foundation. Um, you know, I, I, I remember um, identifying a few critical policy areas that were um, really harmful to our families and not really knowing what to do or, or how to address it, but knowing that it was important to address. And um, I had reached out to a couple of other nonprofits that do have policy work as a mission and, um, you know, just didn't have any luck in that regard. And it just sort of came down to, you know what, you want it done, you have to do it yourself. And um, and I <laughs> approached the you know the Pittsburgh Foundation, being a community foundation, um, and able to invest in our capacity to do that type of work, and um, and really was met with just um, you know great support, and so that's been really a critical partnership for us. It has uh, enabled Amachi to. Um, it raised the visibility of our population, of their needs, and, and the, the uniqueness of their experiences. And not only that, also like really promising opportunities um, for, for positive change. But, you know, we, we don't just go and talk about the problem. We want to talk about hope and opportunities for change. Um, and so we've been able to take that story to Harrisburg um, and, you know, and, and share this work with key legislators who are making decisions about our families without ever having seen them and without hearing from them and without understanding their stories. So we've actually taken busloads of our young people and our parents and, and other family members and other stakeholders to Harrisburg to testify at public hearings. And even, you know, we've even established local um, public hearings where they can share their stories because there's nothing like uh, hearing it from the person with the lived experience. And that, I believe, has really opened the eyes 
of legislators. And it, and it you know, it, it seems uh, really counterproductive to be making decisions about people who you don't understand. Um, and so it's been really critical that um, we help to equip our families to tell their stories and to be the educators that they are. We, we see them as the experts with the lived experience. And so our job is to, you know, sort of create that platform so that they have the opportunities to share their stories. Several times uh, throughout our conversation, Anna, you've talked about uh, the idea that there are so many people who really just don't understand um, what it's like to experience having a parent incarcerated and that uh, young people are often in a situation where even the caring adults around them don't really understand. Uh, I know that Amachi Pittsburgh has been um, doing a lot of work in this area. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yes. Um, so, you know, one of the things is that um, that one thing that we realized um, early on is that, you know, we could receive 10 times as much funding as we do today, and we would still be sort of barely scratching the surface. There's so many um, young people affected. I know 35,000 children in Allegheny County will experience parental incarceration during their childhood, which is really alarming. Um, and so, as uh, you know, and annually we serve about a, a couple of hundred kids, which, you know, is amazing. And we're, we're glad to have an impact on, on that many families. But at the same time, we are really missing um, many families who, who are in need. And so, as we have been thinking about the successes that we've had and the impact that we've been able to have in the community. And one thing we realized is that if we could share this story more broadly with other social service providers, with the other systems and institutions that sort of intersect the lives of these young people, we could have a, a bigger impact. Um, on the families. And so we think about, okay, who are the adults that are interacting with children every day? And, you know, our likely, um, most likely um, partner we thought about was the healthcare community. You know, just about every kid is going to the pediatrician or, you know, schools, um, you know, others, like I said, other social service providers. And so we have been thinking about how do we share what we've learned? How do we provide more resources and sort of a toolkit even for um, other professionals that are coming across these kids every day, but don't necessarily understand um, who they are, their experiences, or their needs, and therefore don't have a way to respond to them without that awareness. So we're looking at the um, healthcare community, starting with pediatricians, and we're working with UPMC to help develop training for residents and other pediatricians so that they can begin to screen for parental incarceration, not alone, but within the context of, you know, broader um, social determinants of health. And, you know, when we're also working to develop toolkits so that once they do uncover that a child 
um, has this challenge, what do they do with that? So we want them to have some resources that they can share with families and also be able to refer those families to organizations who can support them. So when we think about just starting with this one community clinic at UPMC and having success there, well, guess what? There are 116 clinics within the UPMC network alone that we can then replicate that kind of practice. Um, and then you think, okay, UPMC is not the only healthcare provider. You know, there's there's Highmark, there's Gateway, there are a number of their health. So this can really grow. And we have the opportunity to really touch the lives of these kids at various points in their lives and continue to send that same message that we see you we hear you, you matter, you are important, and we want to support you. Mm. We hear you, you matter, and we want to support you. As a community, how do we make sure that that's the message children and their families are hearing? You know, this project gave us that opportunity to provide some answers to this question through developing tools and practices that really capture the resilience and the potential of a group of people that represent a very large segment of our community, those families impacted by incarceration. We were hoping to see a shift from this fatalistic paradigm of you're going to follow in your parents' footsteps to prison to a more optimistic, how can we support you in exploring all of the wonderful things that make you, you? And what we heard today is that it's going to take more than just mentoring to do that. There's a depth of power and resilience in our youth and in their families, but we can't do it alone. There's system work that needs to be done, and there's policy work that needs to be done. And we have to help our youth to build connections, but we also need to be building connections with systems and with service providers if we're really going to be able to break this cycle. That being said, Mentoring is a really good place to start in this work. Thanks for being here to join us for this conversation. If you aren't done with this conversation quite yet, I invite you to join Susan and I as we reflect on what this project has meant for us and for the field in our final episode of the season. And if you want to learn more about some of the tools and strategies we talked about today, make sure to visit our website, youthcollaboratory.org. That's collaboratory. C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes or Stitcher or via RSS so you never miss another show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. This podcast is partially supported by grant number... 2014 JUFX0004, a grant awarded by the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention. The opinions, findings, conclusions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Justice.